0: We'll be able to more live from that place of awe and wonder and fullness of being because God wants us to live from that place. In fact, one of the things he told me about that, when you are living from your true heart, it's fun. It's like everything starts being fun again, just like a little kid playing. They're not trying to make anything happen. They're just being in the moment, so absorbed in the play. And that's honestly how things like ministry and Life should look like more for us, but it can only happen when we're leave, living out of that place, not trying to do that. I know I sometimes just try to do that; it doesn't work very well. It's got to be just being and being present. And then the very last week, I believe Kat's going to come join us, and we're going to look at our prophetic, at prophetic words, the significant prophetic words in your life and we're going to each craft a destiny statement over ourselves that I would hope you would going forward you would start pronouncing over your life on a regular basis. I, Bill Johnson does it. Bill Johnson looks at his prophetic words like every day practically. And yet you're looking at him and like why would he have to do that? He's Bill Johnson. Well, he's probably become who he is in large part because he keeps reminding himself of who he really is, who he is designed to be. So, So, that's kind of where we're going. There is a reason we're doing these things and building them up little by little by little. So, we are going to look at the area of self-protection today. Because we all do it. I do it. We do it for good reasons. It's not because we wanted to wall off our heart and have hard hearts. But we do it because things in life hurt sometimes. Um... No, this would work better if I turned it on wouldn't it there we go let's see and yes hey <laughs> we are all born with an incredibly deep drive to know who I am how many of you when you were a little kid you're like I want to be a firefighter I want to be a nurse I want to be a lawyer I want to be a whatever I think my one of my sons was like I want to be a bart driver and they were convinced that that's what dad did for work because he went to BART every day, so he must just ride BART every day. <laughs> that's a kid's mind. So we are supposed to always ha- keep hold of that sense of anything's possible. We want to know, and we also know. We also have that sense of, of a void inside. I'm sure that's part of the fall. That's part of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that sense of am I enough? Because we're not get, we, are, we stopped getting our sense of worth and sufficiency from being engrafted in him at that point in time. And we're now at the, we're re-he- working on rehealing our hearts so we get that all back, not just by faith but by experience. We already have it by faith, but we want to experience it in fullness. So I, we, we talked about this quote a little bit last time. I don't know if any of you had a chance to look at it. But why don't, we, why don't we just stop and look at this for just one minute. This is Maya Angelou who says, You only are free when you realize you belong at no place. You belong every place, no place at all. The price is high. The reward is great. Just curious, anybody have just, you know, we can have a little just open discussion. Anybody have any thoughts about that, especially the how come the price is high and how come the reward is great? Any thoughts?
1: I think a lot of times we try to compartmentalize or find out where the one pegged place is that we're supposed to be and in that we limit ourselves because we try to fit ourselves in this one pegged place and so um the idea that we're free when we realize that we can't just peg ourselves one place and then corral ourselves um and therefore we can yeah i i think that idea bringing freedom that that's what comes to mind does that make sense okay
0: How come we belong no place? What does that mean but every place? What does that mean? What does it mean to be no place in every place at the same time? Where do we really belong? In heaven. In heaven. Engrafted in God. He is everywhere. So it's sort of like saying we don't belong to a place a finite place we only belong to the face that it, the place that is infinite place but yet we we try we try i got to go to the right church i got to go to the right school i got to get the right job right we try and make ourselves belong by these external things they're never enough they are never enough and i will tell you i think this trying to fit in, trying to belong, it causes, it can also cause so much pain, because then we're disillusioned when that person, that church, that whatever, doesn't meet our needs. Then we're hurt, we're disillusioned, we're disappointed, because we want it to fit, to fill us, right? And none of those things can fill us. They can be additive, they can be good, they can be fit who we are, and and we can be, feel like we can be ourselves there, but they're never going to satisfy us in that deep, deep heart place. Only God can, can't he? The price is high. Why is the price high? Yeah?
2: I think what hit me about You Belong... You realize you belong no place. is When I think of a place, it's stationary. It's one place. It's one destination where you stop. And you belong every place, meaning you're connected to the world. You're connected to everybody. And then in essence, you belong no place, no stationary place at all. So I think when it says a place, I think of one one place. Like church, that's where I belong. I belong everywhere, wherever God leads me.
0: That's good. Exactly. That's good. It's like thinking dimensionally, right? Rather than two dimensionally. It's yeah. Much more, much more dimensionally. Yes. The price is high, the reward is great. I suppose the price is high as there has to be a sur- there's surrender that takes place. Yeah. Yeah, good, you guys. I tried to- wanted to get you thinking a little bit. <laughs> So, this is something we learned from Leif Hetland when he was here, because so much of our sense of worth and identity comes from this concept of belonging. Do I belong or do I not belong? And he, sh- he pointed out with us, unlike the world, the world tries to tell us that somehow it's our behavior that makes us belong. No, that is not the kingdom. The kingdom says you belong. And because you belong, you have a set of belief systems. And because you have a set of belief systems, that is what you're going to behavior and actions are coming out of. This is how the kingdom thinks. And this, is, this is how, um, if you wanted me to send, send the slides, I probably could. but I can't send the movies, but I could send the slides. Behavior has its roots in our belief system, and our belief system has its roots in our sense of how we belong. And this pain, if we don't feel like we belong, can be so devastating that often we will use behaviors or dysfunctional beliefs to numb the pain. Things like codependency, addictions. I mean, you just name it, it goes on and on and on. We so want, you know, to fill that thing in there. So but God has a way to meet every need we have. In Romans, and I know a lot of you are in the Romans study right now, right? We'll look at the Romans um Romans eight fifteen through seventeen scripture. God has given us the spirit of adoption. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Well, that sounds like fun. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father. Oops. There it is. I'll try that button. There we go. For this Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as He whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are His true children, we qualify, fully qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We're like his brothers and sisters. Everything he gets in that relationship with the Father is ours. just kind of a heady concept. Really? But... Yes, it's why Jesus came, to give us that same connection he has. And it gave him such delight to know that that was worth everything he did to buy for us, that same place of belonging, that same place of joy, that same place of knowing a father who believes in you and a father that's there for you always. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's look at a couple of Brothers, you'll know this story well. The prodigals. Take a look at a couple brothers who were struggling to find their sense of worth and identity. So this is um, Luke fifteen, prodigal son story. Should it really should be prodigal sons because they both were prodigals, really? And Jesus said, "Once there was a father with two sons." The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Which he's the younger brother, which isn't quite the case, I don't think. I think it's supposed to go to the older, right? Or at least go to the older one first, but yeah, he was was itching to go. So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterwards, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all that he had on a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, he finally realized what he was doing and thought, "'There are so many workers at my father's house "'who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. "'They lack nothing. "'What am I here dying? "'Why am I here dying of hunger, "'feeding from pigs and eating their slop? "'I want to go back home to my father's house, "'and I will say to him, "'Father, I was wrong.'" I've sinned against you. I will never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. And the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he is found. But the older brother mm -hmm, was out working in the field when his brother came home. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over to the servant and said, what is going on? And the servant replied, it's your younger brother. He returned home, and your father is throwing a party. The older son became very angry, refused to go in and celebrate. So the father came out and pleaded with him, come on, enjoy the feast with us. Come on home. Come home with us. And the son said, father, listen, how many years have I been working as a slave for you? Performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son. Can't you see? Yeah. (laughs) And I've never once disobeyed you, but you have never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness, my great, humble faithfulness. Never once have you given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast for him. So just this story, just to point out a couple different ways we might try and find our sense of worth with the younger brother. He was like the party animal. I need to go out and experience the world and get stuff, and then I'll feel like I'm enough. If I get enough friends... I have enough money, if I have enough experiences, adventures, then I'm going to feel like I'm enough. Because he felt the void inside. That's why he thought all that money was going to take care of and all the, the things that money was going to buy was going to somehow fill this void, but it never did. And then we had the older brother. I will be enough when I am perfect enough, when I obey enough and I'm faithful enough and I just do all the right things in just the right way. Well, I will probably guarantee that. Father had probably affirmed him and he couldn't even hear it. And how many times when we are looking to get our needs met with these kind of measures, we can be getting affirmations, we can be getting, you know, positive feedback. We can't hear it. It's never enough. Younger son finally got it because he got so broken and said, really, all that stuff didn't help, didn't take care of me. It's like an alcoholic that finally gets to realize all this numbing, all my emotions with all those all those times where I drank myself drunk and I'm still empty. There's something called a... Um, A dry drunk, which is somebody who is able to have enough self-discipline to stop drinking, but they don't change their behavior, right? They don't change their attitude. They're still bitter, like the elder brother, bitter, resentful, blaming. A a little bit of blame shifting going on with their older brother there. So both of them needed to get to the place and may the elder brother someday get there. I don't know. We don't know how he ended up exactly, but someday would get there to that place of surrender and breaking and realizing I might be perfect and never make a mistake till the end of my days, and that will never be enough. Yeah. The if-onlys, right? We have lots of if-onlys in our life. If-only I lose weight. If-only I got in better shape. If only I got a better job. If only, if only, if only. They'll never do it. They'll never do it. Yeah. We have this promise. That if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. But then the question is, this is true. We have all become new creations in Christ, but how come it's like not always our experience that we're walking out being a new creation? And there's a reason for that that I want to look at. And the reason is, we have memories, and some of the memories are good and some memories are bad, especially in your early childhood. But what can what can be our sticking points are the memories that had trauma associated with them. Okay? And there are a couple different kinds of trauma. In fact, we'll look at a, a video clip in a little bit that kind of shows a, a kind of a trauma. The type A is the difficult trauma for us to wrap our heads and our hearts around and that is called the trauma of lack meaning you didn't receive affection you didn't receive affirmation you didn't receive attention mom, mom and dad provided for you they put food on the table you had clothes you went to school everything looked good on the you would never call child protective services for the type A trauma, because it would not be obvious that this was abuse. But if mom and dad are too busy to ever have a, a real, genuine conversation with you, if you're the latchkey child who never, you know, when by the time they get home from from work, I'm sure they're doing the best they can, but they're so exhausted they just go to bed. Um, it's hard. Kids need hugs. Kids need attention. Kids need affirmation. Kids need a parent to step out of their life for a minute and step into the child's life. Children need that. We need that. And we don't always recognize when mom and dad didn't do that and that we had a heart, an emptiness in our heart that so yearned for that. Okay? We need to get the feeling that if we need help with something, we can go ask for help. There's somebody available. There's somebody to listen if we need somebody to listen. There's somebody to teach us something if we need help. But sometimes we just get the message, no, mom and dad are too busy, so I won't bother. So we internalize deeply that I'm a bother. I know I, I really internal I'm a problem. I'm a bother. I really deeply internalize that. It's been hard for me to learn to, how to ask for help, how to have a need. What's a need? I don't know. What's a need? And I know this is common for all of us. And you don't always, but Jesus wants us to be able to come to him with our heart needs, not just our physical needs. We're real good at coming to him with our physical needs, right? God, I need a new car. Yeah, we we actually really do too. (laughs) We need that new car. Um, (laughs) Our heart needs. Our heart needs. He wants us to come with the heart needs. And he'll teach you how. Holy Spirit, after all, is a teacher, is a comforter, and we can learn to come to them and get these kind of needs met. When you have a lot of this kind of trauma, sometimes it can be very hard to have the capacity to handle stress. Simple things sometimes overwhelm you because you didn't learn how to do hard things because nobody was there to help you as they should have been in an ideal world. Does that make sense? Five-year-olds don't do a very good job at figuring out, I don't know. I, I, I know, I'll tell a story. Let me tell a story. This is a very simple story, but I was processing a lot of information I had learned from Brené Brown. So this was fresh in my brain, and I went for a little jog by the lake where I live, and as I'm jogging by this mom and this child, he was probably about two, little guy, just a little guy, and they're, they're just walking. And and as I jogged by, I heard mom say, oh, why'd you trip? Not a big deal, right? But I went ding, 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 ding. This two-year-old, because this is how two-year-olds think, is going to go, I don't know. And I, and I turned around to look at him when I was about 10 feet away, and he's like looking around going, I don't Why did I trip? Why did I trip? Why did I trip? Well, Mom, I'm sure, was a fine mom and very loving, but in a simple moment like that, this poor little two-year-old, I mean, he just tripped. He's trying to figure out why he tripped. And I know that's just a very small example, but if you have another situation and another situation where you make a mistake and another situation, you're asked, why did you do that? What message are you going to start internalizing? why would I do this, what's wrong with me? I always screw up, I always make mistakes. I mean, do you see how that could start developing? So I'm like, what can I do? And So I turned around real quick and I looked down at him and I just said, I trip like that all the time. And you could just see the, oh, he was like, you know. It felt really good in that moment, only because my mind was in that space. I'm sure if I hadn't been focusing on that, I totally would have just gone by it. But I'm like, those are the kind of moments we can start believing those kind of lies about us. It's something as simple as that. And mom wasn't being abusive or mean. She just wasn't thinking. Right? So it's that simple that this could happen. So, of course, type B trauma, you're much more familiar with. We don't really need to go into that. It's violence, abuse, the kind of things CPS might well be called on. But how about this? Having a severe loss... Mom or dad having a severe illness, they're not available, or dying, or a divorce. I mean, I guess you wouldn't quite call it divorce, but something pretty severe happening. Or I've known, I've done ministry with people who were asked to care for their younger siblings at much too young of an age, and it actually really damages their psyche a lot because they are so overwhelmed. How does a five-year-old take care of a two-year-old? They can't. And they shouldn't. But it happens sometimes. And it's very, very hard on them. And then they start developing beliefs about themselves, like there must be something wrong with me that I can't figure out how to take care of. I can't figure out how to get the bottle and bright and all this. So, okay. The good news is, and there's some really good news, and this picture is actually for my daughter because she really likes meerkats. cats. Aww. The good news is, even though these traumas cause such deep wounds, because when they happen, we feel so alone to figure it out. Like that little boy, you know. I don't know. I don't know. Why did he trip? I don't know. But if there is a support system present, if there's somebody there, it makes all the difference. People can survive unbelievable trauma if there's somebody there to be with them. And really good news, and Jesus can go back to your tr- big traumas and reveal to you in your heart of hearts how he was there. And he does. And he does. Yes. Thank you, Lord. So we are going to now watch a little video clip, and probably some of you have seen this before, because I've shown it a number of times when I've taught this kind of material. Um, it's a little clip from a movie, from, I don't know, a while back. It's a little, and maybe, I don't know how old it is. It's called The Kid with Bruce Willis. It's a great movie if you want to watch, like, a Destiny movie, or a, it's, it's really a neat, it's really a fun movie. Um, and in the movie, Bruce Willis is an adult. And on his birthday, he has an encounter with his child self. And... He has grown up to be everything he didn't want to be when he was a little kid because he had some traumas. And we're g- this, this clip shows the tr- one of the traumas that happened to him. Um, he was, as a child, he's like, he wanted to be married, and he ha- wanted to have a dog, and he wanted to have kids, and he wanted to have a plane, and he was none of those things. He was this driven, sort of mean-spirited, you know, type A personality that was hard on himself and hard on everybody around him. So in this clip, we'll see the adult Bruce Willis and the child Bruce Willis and just watch what happens as they go back to the moment of the trauma and how it changes this time.
2: bigger here's what i remember some really bad guys tie up that three-legged dog tripod and when you try to stop them you get really thrashed oh no do i save them no you go down after only one punch thereby solidifying your reputation as a loser for the next eight years all the way through high school and ruining our lives from that moment on
3: holy smokes
2: any second now vince kajinsky and his cohorts are going to come around that corner
3: Look, there they are. Hey, who?
2: They're going to say something to you to get you to come over there. But once you get back there, they have Tripod tied up. Any questions? Yeah. What's the cohort?
3: Hey, Rusty, come over here.
1: It's your birthday, right? We got a present for you.
2: Look, kid,
4: you don't have to do this at all. You don't have to fight today.
0: No.
2: If I don't go against them today, I'll have to fight tomorrow or the next day. And today, you're here with me. That's
4: right. I'm here with you today.
2: I can do this.
4: You can do it. Don't be afraid.
3: Here I come! you right here. the dog go you guys are dirt bags what would you call us dirt bags <laughs> look at what a go
2: <laughs> yeah, right,
3: right on yeah, right on rule oh, oh that's how it's going to
2: It's not over This gets worse, kid Much worse
3: What are you talking about? I won the fight
4: It wasn't the fight That wasn't it It's not over
2: Ice on the ice, son
4: Branch, I put all the reports on your
1: desk. Mom, I'm sorry, Mom, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's okay.
2: I'm sorry I had to come in, Mrs. Dort. You not know you
3: haven't been well.
1: Please, don't punish him,
3: Mr. Branch. It's
2: his birthday today. Mom, Daddy. Gloria. What are you doing? You're out of your mind.
0: Delitter. I'm sorry. How could you do this
2: to your mother? What are you trying to do? Kill her faster? What? We're, We're gonna lose Stop You like you did today. You're killing her. I found this screw, Dad. Look, at the screw. Stop crying. Here's
3: the screw, Dad. Look, here it is. Here it is. I found it. Stop crying. Look at the screw. Here it is. Stop crying.
2: Grow yeah, yeah.
3: up. Grow up!
4: birthday. Did I do it? No. No, you didn't do it. It's not your fault. Dad was just saying those things because he's scared. Because he knows that he has to raise you alone and he doesn't know how to do it. Uh, it's my eighth birthday. I guess I'm starting up
2: again.
1: Come.
2: Because I just figured out where I got that twitch from.
1: Somebody called the WAMBL
0: would you mind getting the lights back on? Okay, thank you. Yeah. So one of the other quotes I gave you last week was, loving ourselves through the process of owning our story is the bravest thing we'll ever do. How did Bruce Willis start owning his story when he, after he experienced that? What was different? What shifted for him? Any thoughts? As an adult, and how was that different? He could appreciate what his dad was going through. Like, like that, it wasn't. He could see more objectively that it wasn't his fault. Yes. And that his dad was just really stressed out. and yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a big deal, and that's often is the case for us when we have, you know, those kind of experiences growing up. We think it's us because kids are self-centered, and that's actually normal for a child to be self-centered. So you think something happened, it must be my fault, dad's angry, mom's depressed, it must be. And then Jesus can come into that and give us that revelation.
2: Uh, he began <clears throat> He began to define himself and his own character based on what he believed about himself versus somebody else defining that.
0: Exactly. And, you know, you could see. He decided to be perfect, to be hard, to never cry or show emotion, because if he did, bad stuff happened.
1: I um, like the whole scene where he thought it was the fight that caused all this issue in his life but it was the thing that happened afterwards and the smaller thing so he got that revelation like no this is the big thing and and that often happens where we're thinking it's a bigger situation that happened and it's just one word that somebody said to us that shifted the way we thought about life and the way we thought about ourselves.
0: and I actually would propose we think it's the more surface thing when it's really a deeper, more vulnerable. Because it was dad, as opposed to the bully at school. At school, This was dad I live with every day. And he just told me, I'm killing my mom. Oh, this is unsurvivable. What am I going to do with that? I got to shut that down, and I got to shut down a good part of my heart with that kind of a concept, right? So... I was going to have, oh, and and the owning our story. I thought this was a fabulous quote. Because owning your story means being really honest about your feelings, being really honest about what you believe about yourself, about what you believe about the situation, and not just kind of blaming everybody else out there for what's going on. It's owning it, saying, well, this hurts. Well, this part's good. This part really hurts. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do about this. It's, you know, it's that owning it. It's, it's saying, I did this. I made this decision. Now, I get to choose what to do with that. Or I could live in resentment <clears throat> and bitterness the rest of my life and blame everybody. It's because dad, what dad did to me that I'm all messed up. That would be not owning our story, right? Yes, it is true that people hurt us, but if we live in that the rest of our life, nothing will ever shift for us, will it? So I'm going to have you all um, just spend a few minutes getting um, getting into groups of maybe three, two or three, and I know some of you need to stay with within your because of language issues, but how about just groups of two or three, and we already kind of talked about the top um, question, but how about share a little bit if you can relate to a time of trauma that has marked your life, and were you alone, and have you ever been able to be with somebody, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two minutes each to share, I know that's kind of a lot, but um, if you could share, so break up into groups, no more than three people, and I'll let you know when... Two minutes goes by, so it'll be time to shift. You might have to get up and move a little bit. I know. And those of you who are groups of two will get more time to share. I wrote something down here. I'm like, oh, that's good. I should share that. <laughs> Releasing our trauma involves admitting the pain how it has affected us. We, want, we need to be really honest how it affected us and coming to believe that Jesus is able to meet us in that pain, whatever it is, no matter how deep, he is able. We give him our story. We trust him with it. He washes it and cleanses it, rinses away all the trauma and hands it back to us clean and pure so when you do this process and you allow him in you'll still have the memory but the sting is gone and that's the difference Okay, you can still have gone through something awful but that awareness that he would be with me in that and he would experience every bit of agony with me yes but we need to get that of course by revelation but he will, he will do that for us He's amazing. He will. It's why he came and, as a human being, as a finite human being, so that he could know exactly what it felt to be, so, but to be limited, to be in the flesh, to have to eat, to get thirsty, to get hungry, to feel lonely, to feel all those things. He did so that he can really meet us right where we are. I mean, he could have come anywhere he wanted to, Right? I mean, he could have come as a superhero, right? Like, you know, perfect. I mean, he was perfect, but never having needs and always, you know, being on top of the world with everything. But he got lonely, Garden of Gethsemane. Things were hard sometimes. Devil was tempting him. Yeah, the feather just floated by. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Um, So, Yeah. He is so willing, able. But the, the catching is us surrendering our stories to him. I think that's one of our catch, our catch the thing that we get caught up in. We sometimes like, ah, I'm so afraid I'm going to, it's, it's going to just be, I'm going to get stuck there in that really hard place, so I don't want to even open it up. That's one possibility. But he will give you the grace at the and the timing, because sometimes it is a timing thing. Yeah. He will give you the grace and the timing. But let's look at some how Jesus specifically deals with these traumas from the Scripture. He has a solution. Oh, I back up. There it is. Isaiah 53, which talks in depth about this. Because sometimes we think, well, he died for our sins. But this talks about a whole lot more than just his sin, our sins. Just the thing, this is far more than just the things we did wrong. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. I mean, he went into any kind of trauma, pain, loss that we ever could have. It's all right there. Rejected, sorrows, grief, despised, hated. And yet, He bore our griefs. He wants to. He doesn't want you to hold all these things on your own. He wants to give you the light yoke for the heavy burden. And some of us are carrying that heavy burden. In fact, why don't we just, I think we'll just stop here for one little moment. Why don't you close your eyes? Yeah. Why don't you just close your eyes? And remember a little bit earlier, we were in a place where we were hanging out with Jesus. And I ask you, Lord, that you would refresh and bring that time, that memory back of how we were being with you, sitting with you, walking with you, whatever that place looked like. Bring us back to that place, Jesus. And would you reveal to each one of these if there is something they are carrying, if there is a heavy load that is on them that, that they don't need to be carrying, that maybe it's become so familiar that you thought you just had to. Jesus, what would it look like if I gave you this burden I've been carrying? What is this burden doing to my heart? And what will it look like if I receive your light yoke in exchange? So, if you're feeling that, that you'd like to agree with that, just let it release to Him. Just let the weight come off. Whoa, and let it release. And let it flow out of your heart onto Him. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You understand our sorrows and our griefs. You understand what it is to be despised and not valued, rejected. You understand stripe for stripe every moment of our lives when we were in pain. And thank you, Jesus. It gave you joy in knowing you could step into our lives and take this burden off. We were never meant to carry on our own, ever. He bought your freedom for you. He bought your joy for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. How y'all doing? Thank you, Jesus. I'll give you another minute. Isn't he amazing? Nothing's too big for him. Nothing's too big a problem. Nothing's too small either. Well, I think most people are coming back now. So, yeah. I know some of you went pretty deep with that. It's really good. Really good. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. But you can stay there if you don't want to get engaged quite yet. That is perfectly fine, especially in my class. Do you want to go somewhere and crawl in a corner? I'm totally good with that. We are going to watch a very short clip by Paul Young. And I don't know if any of you know this, but TBN has some awesome, awesome um, clips called Restoring the Shack, where Paul Young does some talks based on the Shack, the movie, the movie book, The Shack. Really good. Yeah. So this is just a, we're going to watch a couple clips from. So this is going to be looking at what kind of what we just did, how much God wants to partner with us and reveal whatever aspect of, of his heart we need to see, we need to experience in order to get our healing. And so Paul will, this will be, I don't know, like five or six minutes, I think.
4: In the journey toward our wholeness, we're going to have to face and confront the things that hurt us, the ways we were hurt. I wish we could go around our shacks, but that's our soul. That's our heart. Thankfully, some of us have habitable places, but some of us, we didn't get good help. And our places on the inside are broken. We're going to have to confront the shack and thankfully God is with us in that thankfully God knows how to help us discover the things that are broken and restore us and part of that is going to be forgiveness eventually if not in this world it's reconciliation On my dad's 80th birthday I went for a walk and I felt God put his arm around me and said Paul Your dad, he hasn't known how to be a father for 60 years. He's not suddenly going to figure it out. I said, yeah, I understand. Then I heard the whisper, I'll be all that to you and more if it's okay with you. It's okay with me. God meets us where we're at and then works with us, walks with us, God doesn't grab out of our hands our survival mechanisms and our safety skills, but works with us to the point where we're willing to let them go. I'm going to read to you a little section near the end of the book, in the morning of sorrows. And God, early in the book, comes to Mackenzie as a large, black, African-American woman, and now comes as a man. I don't want to lose the paternal nature of God in the middle of this conversation. And that morning, when Papa showed up, Mackenzie was surprised, but intuitively recognized him and asked why the difference. And he said, today you're going to need a father. Papa, yes, son. Sophia helped me understand a great deal about Missy yesterday and it helped talking to Papa. Uh, I mean, talking to you, too. Mac felt confused. But Papa stopped and smiled as if he understood. So Mac continued. Is it strange that I need to talk to you about it, too? I mean, you're more like a father-father, if that makes any sense. I understand, Mackenzie, we are coming full circle. Forgiving your dad yesterday was a significant part of your being able to know me as father today. Incremental steps, slow, arduous. Sometimes we don't even recognize that one little change in this part of our soul begins to unlock something that seems totally unrelated.
0: more we'll do one more in a few minutes so did you catch that one thing that paul said god does not grab our self-protective mechanisms out of our hands i i have wanted him to many a time come on god could you just he wants to do it with us partner with us he wants, um, he wants us to buy in with him. He wants us to see the benefit. He wants us to see how good it is. He's not a dictator. He is not an authoritarian. He wants to be a loving, compassionate, wise father who helps us, who guides us, who leads us, who comes alongside and shows us the way and does it with us. Not for us, yeah, I know, darn, sometimes, yeah, you know, that magic wand anointing would be nice, <laughs> but um, but most of the things are occasionally he does, he does show up sometimes with those suddenlies, and he just goes uh, does a shazam, and woo aren't those wonderful when they happen, but most of the time, there's going to be this partnering, and I 'll tell you someday on the other side, we 're going to get it. We're going to see it. We're going to see why. Oh, we're going to see the advantage from the other side. We can't see the advantage from this side yet, can we? But we know it's, it's good and it's right and it's fitting because it's the way he does things. Oh, turning it on again would be good. Yeah. Back up. There we go. Okay, so in order to move forward in life and embrace our true selves, we need to be willing to look at our pain and stop shutting down our emotions. He's so willing to do that. Um, it also includes forgiveness and letting go of our demand for justice and believe, and trusting that he is the good judge and we can trust how he's going to work things out when we've had unrighteous things happen in our lives. He knows they're there. He knows what they are. He will bring you justice. It just isn't always linear, right? We want to see it happen like this happened, so I want to see the outcome here, and it doesn't always quite work out like that. Um, This next clip is... The role that both forgive, talks about the role of forgiveness and reconciliation play in healing and that they're not the same thing. Sometimes we think they are. Okay, I need to forgive someone else. I need to forgive myself and I have to all make good and get along. And and there really are two different things and they're two different processes. And I think it's helpful to understand that. Um, it also really goes more into, and in fact, Paul, Paul Young tells a story, a very, very powerful story about how important it is to have someone, Jesus or, or another person. We saw it like we saw in that movie, right? The kid, it was his older self came in. And, and um, actually, Teresa has agreed to share a testimony of an experience she had at our last meeting where, where she, as her adult self, was able to go back and be, be there, be Jesus for the younger child in the same way. And when we experience him being there, we are able to release the trauma from those memories. And as we do so, that story inside of our head gets rewritten from, I'm alone to figure all this out and no one else cares, to I belong, I matter, and there is someone here to help me. So that we start owning that reality. I belong, I matter, and He is right here to help me every day in everything that I do. All right, so we'll watch this this clip.
4: Forgiveness is one thing, the arduous process of reconciliation, something completely different. We need to be able to distinguish between the two. And at the heart of it is, if you're not a person, if you think that selflessness means you need to be a doormat, you need to open up your life for some change and become a real person. In the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, none of the members of the Trinity are ever diminished nor absorbed. The Spirit never becomes the Father. The Son never becomes the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not there to add something to Jesus, but to celebrate who He is. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, the Holy Spirit has come to celebrate who you are. Let us, together, grow up into being who we were always intended to be. These incredible creations new creations, fully human, fully alive. I want to read you an email that I got this morning. This tells you how fresh some of this is, and I've already been in touch with these folks and gotten permission to share this with you. I wanted to write you about my sister named Carol. Her story is one of parental sexual abuse occurring some 50 years ago from the age of five into her early teens. This occurred at her shack on Carter Avenue the house where my parents raised a large family. Carol entered into a deepening relationship with Jesus as a little girl, but it wasn't until her college years she brought Jesus back to the family. Over the course of time, all of us have learned to love Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It took my father until his deathbed, but he too entered relationship with Jesus. And Carol's a strong person. She believes in a big, good God. One that works miracles that are beyond our comprehension. And she's sown countless seeds, talking to many people about Jesus. I owe my relationship to Jesus, to her. For 50 years, Carol has suffered from the torturous memories of sexual abuse administered by my father, her father. 50 years of depression, insomnia, and severe agoraphobia. The demons of Carter Avenue poking and prodding. Even through her constant prayer and closeness to God, she wasn't able to be normal. She forgave my father face-to-face 27 years ago. She prayed, talked to him, never gave up on him, talked to him on his deathbed. Who does that? Sexually abused and then tormented by it, and she fights to save her father's soul. During her years of suffering, she didn't ask why those things happened to her. She was asking why the depression? Why the insomnia? Why the agoraphobia? Hadn't she suffered enough? Okay, people say it's God's will, but really? 50 years of this? Had God abandoned her? Carol felt that she was left on her own, used and abused as one thing, but thrown to the curb to suffer for so long? I recently sent her a copy of your book after reading it myself. The book touched me, and I wanted her opinion of its contents. She read it, and the response I got from her was not what I expected. The shack brought her to tears. I'm talking tears from the very depth of her soul. I wasn't sure what was going on until she told me, the full story of her shack. You see, even though the book, I'm sure, rekindled those awful moments for her, it's the part about Max communion with the Trinity. Carol believes this can happen. She wants to have this sit down with God. She has a lot of questions. She wants to say that she accepts her cross. But she tells me, she knows that she hasn't been abandoned. The shack... Fiction or not is real to her. The hope of spending a weekend is real to her. She wrote me a letter in graphic detail, told me the abuse and the story. Man, the anger that surfaced in me. I probably don't need to explain it. I didn't sleep. The thoughts in my head were turning me round and round. I knew I was going to call her in the morning. But what was I going to say to her? What words to comfort her? I didn't have anything. No bullet points. No catchphrases. Nothing that I thought would help, and I fell asleep. I don't know when, but when I woke up, I had this thought. I realized after hearing all the details, I was not ashamed of her. I didn't know how to fix her, but I knew I wasn't ashamed of her. I didn't see her for anything other than my beautiful sister. I sensed the Holy Spirit was working and the Holy Spirit told me, call her now and just say to her, you're not ashamed. I did. We had a long talk in the morning and the results, well, here's the email I just received. Dear Bill, You did something for me on Monday that no other family member has ever been able to do. You met me at Carter Avenue. You met me in the shack. Hand in hand, you and I walked through every room. We opened every crawl space. We looked behind every door and investigated under every bed. My big strong brother, went into the scariest place on earth with me and proved that there was nothing to fear. Nope, no monster here. Nope, no monster here either. In my dreams, I've been back there so many times, but always alone. Until now. How can I thank you? You prayed that I would have a face-to-face meeting with the Trinity. What you did is the next best thing. A miracle is taking place. Life is being breathed into the dead. I have friends who can't remember not suffering or being in pain. There are no quick answers to this. But there is a God who knows suffering. And somehow there's a mystery about all this that we get to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. Not in some kind of masochistic way, but a God who enters this broken world in order to be with broken humanity. And in turn, we get to participate in the midst of our own sufferings as well as in the sufferings of those around us. We have to go back to the places we were hurt. And look for the God who is always there.
0: Isn't that an amazing story? Like, wow, to have her um, so Carol, so wounded and yet so um, willing to love. Wow, that's pretty amazing. But I thought that was so interesting. The thing she needed to hear was from her brother I am not ashamed of you. So it told, tells you that she was carrying a lot of shame. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I love God, but I don't sleep at night. Um, well, I'm not going to go any further now or we'll end up doing ministry. And We actually have another amazing story to hear. And if Teresa Ma could come up, please. She shared with me, um, sweetie, she shared with me a story from our last time here Mm -hmm. when she had an encounter with Jesus in a memory, and I asked if she would share it, and she said yes. I had
3: another encounter. (laughs) It's it's related.
0: Is it? Well, go for it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can I sit down? <laughs> so I won't shake in so much. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> um, okay. yeah, uh, Just build up a little bit background here. Um, since I can remember, I since I can remember, I love music. And I love playing music, play piano, uh, but this is not a good idea to my mom. So every time, every week, I ask for tuition fees. Um, it's a challenge. Mm. But I insisted. Mm. I actually make it through and got enrolled in a conservatory in Australia. And um, I love it. It's like dream palm true, And I tried hard. Um, I actually did quite well and I got uh, scholarship and invited to be uh, studying postgraduate, all that, and um, but one day uh, I was uh, chose, chosen uh, to uh, go outside the school and having a concert in uh, a strange town I never been. And I seated about three to 400 audience. And I was actually always scared on the stage, but no, nobody knows. And because um, um, nobody even knows I have only one ear. My, my right ear was blocked for 10 years because the ear infection. And um, so I have a one-year play, but I I will never let people know. And um, I have little English, and I have no family. Um, Actually, my family never come to my concert, so I have no photos. So there, uh, I was standing on the stage, and I play uh, my favorite composer, Chopin, Nocturne. Mm. Uh, normally, the first couple of seconds, my feet will shake a little bit. But when the music starts, I am somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I I forgot where I am. But mm, that time, uh. I can only hear my heart beat, beating so fast. Then music stopped. And I can't continue. My mind went blank. Everything just stopped. Everybody watched at me. uh, All I know is, run. (laughs) And I stood up run as fast as I can uh, into the back of the stage and I keep running around until no one can find me. Uh, Last last session we hear, um, I saw that drama again, trauma. And I saw I'm shaking and hiding and mm, the young Teresa was there. And I look at the young Teresa, and I was thinking, I want to help you. (laughs) What will I I do now? i like to make it over. Then I I approached the young Teresa, and I asked her, how about let's go back to the stage together? Let's go together. And I can turn page for you. <laughs> and uh, I hold in her hands, and we go back. That This is the vision, okay? Yeah, then we go back on the stage, and I bow. And I say, I'm sorry, can I try it again? <laughs> That's what I really want to do. That was 25 years ago. And... What was surprised me, uh, when I look up, then I saw Daddy is on the first row. He is nodding his head and smiling at me and I, I got encouraged. And when I look at the audience, what was playing on my head is different than I see in the vision. In my head, was like, you are a failure, and everybody are cr- cr- criticized at me. And how can you do that to us, all that sound? But this time in the vision, I saw the audience. I see into their eyes. I see their understanding. I see they were worried about me. And I saw they, they are happy. They are glad to see me come back again. And actually, I saw clearly. I saw everyone become like, look like Jesus. <laughs> I, this comforts me, and uh, the the story in in my head changed. Mm, so, um, next day, uh, now it's back the real life. <laughs> the next day. I was thinking, oh, I may try this piece again, that Chopin Nocturne. I was really afraid to touch that again, because when I play my head, inside my head, the voice is, you are a failure, you are a failure. So I, I never can finish that piece. Um, but next day, i just try, I, say, I have some, Kind of courage here you now. <laughs> then I say, okay, I'll try. When I play, m- inside my head, the sound has changed. It says, you can do it. You can do it. Then sup- I was surprised, I can finish that piece. And Henry said, I never heard you play that piece. <laughs> I said, oh. It's big difference. Um, then, uh, in the same week, uh, we have a, a whole group at home, and we were taking a communion. Uh, while I was taking the break, I saw the young Teresa again in my vision. She is taking. She was taking the communion with with me. So that's the two hands together <laughs> she was taking the communion then i saw she met with Jesus there and she she hold, Jesus holds her hand and she will never be shaking on the back of stage but now she's home thank you Jesus <laughs> Do I need to share? I had an encounter that is uh, just now. Oh, sure. Can I share yes. a little bit? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh What happened was um, uh, I didn't finish my postgraduate and I didn't con- uh, f- uh, finish my job in a conservatory uh, because suddenly uh, my father died. And I had to go back home and take care of my family. And that was just like that. That's, um, it's become really heavy and intense. And I, I decided to um, give up my dream and go home and forgive, forget all about, about my dream. To be a musician or pianist, and just then I I remember that uh, what happened, the trauma, and I am um, very disappointed about myself. Then, in the vision, just then I saw uh, I become like a little ant, lifting a big rock on my head. It's really heavy, and. Suddenly, I see Jesus come, and he lift up the the big rock and look at me and say, I found you again. (laughs) And would you like to come out? And I have a piece of bread for you. And instead of a rock, he gave me uh, a piece of bread. Then uh, we walk uh, to a cliff. Then we just sit like this and hang our legs on the cliff. And look out ahead, there's a um, forest full of life. And he pointed out far and said, future. Thank you, Lord. Wow,
0: wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. And um, Teresa, you spoke very well. I think we all understood you, just so you know. Don't hesitate if you have something else ever to share because we, we, we understood you very well. So thank you so much. And I think it was, in some ways, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, somewhat parallel to the story about Carol where some shame came off. Yeah. And it, it's, it gets so familiar, we, 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 we think it's us, that feeling of shame, that feeling of I'm not enough, that feeling of there is something so wrong about me, I need to hide part of who I am. Um, and I want to maybe give a new context to a certain script, to the scripture um yeah familiar scripture but this brings a new a new context to it from corinthians we can all draw close to him with a veil removed from our faces and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the lord jesus we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one Brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the story. We allow those parts of our hearts that are hurting to look upon the Lord. When we allow the veil to be rent and we start, we just start becoming like him. But things like shame keep us from, trying to, from allowing that door to be opened. So, hmm, I'm wondering if, um, yeah, if you guys all wouldn't mind closing your eyes again, and we can see what else Jesus might like to do before we're done for the evening. You guys have been really awesome, too. You just like, yeah, you just like assume the position. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good, because you know he's going to be right there. And if he isn't right there there's a reason okay so it's not because you have failed if he is he's not right there it's because there's something in the way and sometimes that's shame sometimes it's something we are holding against ourselves maybe something we're holding against him i don't know but he knows And what he knows is the solution always is to get to that place where you can look upon his face. Just like Teresa experienced when she went back to that place where she accepted and loved that little child and took the shame away, the way she saw herself, the way she thought about herself suddenly changed. She started seeing herself. She started thinking about herself like he thinks about her. Able. Wanted. Enjoyed. Valued. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. So what I'm wondering is if we could ask this question. First, I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to pray a little bit. I'm ask Jesus, would you just move anything out of the way that would try and keep us from a deeper experience with you? Would you bind and bring into full restraint Anything that is trying to interfere, hey, or lie to us, would you move that out of the way for this time this evening? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And, Lord, would you just show us down deep inside if there is any part of us that we have not believed that you wanted to meet with. Any part of ourselves we haven't wanted to be with. And Jesus, why, why did we believe those things about ourselves? Jesus, will you draw closer to us now and show us what you would have us believe about ourselves? what is it that we've never been able to see before Jesus about who we really are? Jesus, will you help us look into your face? And if we can't quite see your face, could you help us look at your hands? Feel your presence. What is his presence saying to you right now? What are his eyes telling you? And I kind of feel like he actually wants you to breathe his breath with him. Wow. Right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just like if a mama, mom's holding her baby and they're breathing the same breath together. That close. Thank you, Jesus, that you know who we really are. (laughs) You see us untainted, pure, whole, complete, nothing missing, without shame. Yeah, holy before you. Holy before you. Not what we do, but who we are. That's what you're looking at. Who we are. Who we are. Who we are. Yeah. In glory and in eternity, the fullness of who we are. And I just bless each one of you with a, ooh, a Brené Brownism here. (laughs) That you would know, that you know, that you know, that authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who you think you're supposed to be and embracing who you are. And I just bless you all to know that Jesus is one 100% okay with who you are. And um, Jesus, I just want to just close this time right now and ask you to seal everything that got done, everything that you brought by revelation, every door that got open. Thank you, Jesus. You're going to leave nothing unfinished. (laughs) That you understand us through and through and that you're going to take, continue taking each one of these from glory to glory to glory to glory into the fullness of their authentic selves. As defined by your book, he wrote, ha, from before the beginning of time. He wrote your book. He knows who you are. It's all in there. And I pray, God, As you see fit, continue to unfold and release our stories to us as you say they are. Yeah. And cleanse away anything, Lord, that does not agree with what you know to be true about us. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Hey. Yeah. Amen. Brent's class, right? <laughs> Mine isn't quite rich. But really, the homework I'm giving you, it's more, it's for you. It's not because you have to. Oh, I guess I gotta, I keep turning this thing off for some reason. Um, yeah, just a few questions to ask yourself again. This would be like for those times of, you know, reflection with God. Like areas of your life where you've believed you need to be who I'm supposed to be instead of who you really are. How your life would look if you were listening to your true heart instead of the voice of fear or bitterness or control. Whoops. I think I got some of those things going on. Um, Try to listen to any part of your heart that feels trapped in pain and trauma. Give it a voice and let it speak. Let me tell you, this helps. I know sometimes we just want to shut it down and make it go away, but giving it a voice, an outlet, helps because keeping it trapped just keeps it in prison. It does. It's not like you're 100% agreeing. And that those, that negative part of who you are does not define who you are. That's what you, you kind of got to get over that, okay? It does not define who you are, but it's a reality. There's an aspect of you that is trapped there in prison, okay? And what does a prisoner want? Companionship, someone to be there, and as, they, and as it works in the kingdom. As, as that, that in-prison part of you starts experiencing somebody being with, guess what happens? The door starts opening, and they get set free. But while they're trapped alone, without knowing it, we, tra- we, we trap them because we agree to keep that part of our heart in bondage, and we don't even know we do that. The enemy helps, but the enemy can't actually do it without our cooperation. I know as strange as it sounds, but it's true. And um, so I'd encourage you to even journaling that. And journal the pain. But then say, okay, Jesus, what would you like to say to the pain? It's a very powerful way to journal if you've got a place inside that's been trapped. So if you like these.